I want you to read something in the Word with me. It is in Ephesians chapter 6, and I want to talk about a few things when it comes to prayer, and then we'll, we'll sing because of what we learned. Ephesians chapter 6, let's look at verse 18 again. We're learning so much about what it means to pray. I have so much to learn, and this is instruction on prayer, yet we can learn a lot about praying, but if we don't do it, what good is it, right? If we can learn about how to pray, what the Lord says, and we we want that. We want to pray in all prayer, as the Word of God says in this very chapter, but be before the Lord in all these ways as we learn what He says about what it means to commune with Him, not just when we talk. I want you to notice in verse 18, it says, praying always with all prayer. That means all types of prayer, and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. I noticed that two times here in this verse it mentions supplication, and that is to bring your petition before the Lord. That is to ask God for the desire of your heart, for for Him to, to move, for Him to work, for Him to carry you through your trial, for him to keep you from temptation. It means that we come to God and and we call on him in our struggle. Aren't you thankful that you can do that, that you run to the Lord with, with what weighs you down and you give it to him? When you petition, when you supplicate, you, you come and you say, it's yours, Lord. It's not mine anymore. Yes, I care. Yes, it's, it's my heart, but it belongs to you. This, this request, this trial, this struggle, this temptation, Lord, I give it over to you. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Many of you know it well. It says, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. The English Standard Version says this. Same thing, same truth, different words. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Isn't it true that many times it's easier to call things cares than it is anxieties or worries? Lord, I am giving you everything that piles up on me and in me. I'm heaving it upon you. Why? Why do you give your requests to God? Right? Because he cares for you. The reason that you and me call out to him, isn't that we doubt and say, oh Lord, do you even care about me? Do you care about my life? Today, do you need to hear that? Lord, I know you love me. I know you care for me. That's why I'm casting my cares upon you. He cares for you more than you care for yourself. And you care for yourself a lot, don't you? He loves me more than I love myself. He knows you better than you know yourself. And think of this. He's aware of the trial before you're even aware of it. He knows it's coming. He sees it before you do. And so when you come to him, you say, here it is, God. I am supplicating. I am giving you my petition. Supplication is not all prayer. It's only one kind of prayer. But I want you to remember what the word says 
about how the Lord cares for you and why you should cast your cares on him. His thoughts towards you are greater in number than the sands of the seas. Today, if you come wondering, does God see, does God notice, does God care? The word says that his thoughts towards you are greater in number than the sands of the sea. In his holy word, he says that he carries your, your tears in a bottle. You know, when, when you cry, you can't contain it. You can't mop it all up, keep it all in. But God knows every one of our tears. He is the father who's waiting on the front porch to know that his child is, is coming home, to know that his child is safe. Do you think you can bring him your petitions? I hope that you know you can. No matter who you are, as a child of God, he wants to hear you. He is the good shepherd. And I think of how he takes that lamb and he puts it over his shoulders. When you petition the Lord, you're not making him a partner in the request. You're giving it all to him. You're not saying, Lord, help, help me bear this. You're saying, no, the burden is yours, Lord. It's not mine. You're literally casting it like a net is cast if you're a fisherman. You're throwing that net out into the water. Here it is, Lord. Whether you answer in the way I hope you're going to answer, answer according to your will. You're letting it go. Yes, you still care, but you're surrendering it to him, no longer carrying the burden. This petitioning, this supplication is a lifelong learning process. None of us come to this place today and gather and say, I, I know what I need to know about petitioning the Lord. I do all that I need to do. It's an all-your-life learning process. It's an over-and-over-again learning process where we keep taking the same trial, the, tame, the same temptation, and submitting it to him. Or when there's a new trial or a new struggle, saying, Lord, I've learned this once. I need to learn it again. Lord, because of your love for me, I'm learning to give you the things that I thought I would never face. I'm learning the depth of surrender, the depth of peace that only you can give. Let's continue in Ephesians chapter 6 and, and look at verse 18 again. What would you call the first point? You already heard the preaching. I'll let you name it. Let's start it with pray. Pray what? Pray without ceasing. Pray with supplication. It's about petitioning the Lord, right? Because he, he cares for you. I put it, um, pray, casting your cares on him. That's what it means to ask the Lord for the desires of your heart. Verse 18 also commands us to pray for all the saints. So God is saying that when we pray, we should have a diverse and a global outlook, that we should not just pray for a few, that we should pray for all the saints. Every single person that sincerely calls upon Jesus as Lord. We should open up the horizons of how we pray. And yes, pray for those that we love so dearly. But all the saints, look what it says down in verse 24. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. If any soul sincerely loves Jesus, 
Shouldn't we be praying for them? We should. Now, we might not agree with them. We might know that they need a doctrinal adjustment. We might know they need an attitude adjustment. Are you with me? But still, they need our prayers. We don't withhold our prayers because we think their doctrine is askew. If they sincerely call upon Jesus as Lord, let's pray for the body of Christ. Let's pray for all the saints as we are instructed to in verse 18. Let us come and say, Lord, I am interceding for others, all the saints. Paul was ever mindful of the greater body of Christ. Let me read to you, please, with me. Because if we don't know how to pray, then how can we pray? He says this, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. Besides the other things, you have those other things in your life, the cares that are piling up, the concerns, even the worries or the anxieties. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Look at his concern. It's for all the believers. It's for all the fellowships. Verse 29, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? Do you see his heart for others and therefore his prayer for others, for all the saints. Sometimes when we read verses like this in the body of Christ, our minds say, well, that's what he's supposed to do. He's an apostle. He's supposed to care about all the saints. Does your mind ever say, well, that person's a pastor or that person's an elder or a deacon. They're supposed to care about all the people. I'm not an apostle and a pastor or a or an elder, or a deacon. But the word of God is not just saying this is for just a few. It's saying that you and I, collectively and individually, should be opening up the horizons of who we pray for, people outside our fellowship, people across the world, lifting them up to the Lord. We have more ways than ever to be connected to each other, don't we? We have more avenues for communication. Yes? I ask you this. Are we better for it? Do we pray more because we know more? You look at the end of this book, and Tysicus is going to fill in the Ephesians about what's going on with Paul, about what's going on in his life. We have the ability and the access to know about what's going on in people's lives now more than ever. Are we using that communication or the ways that we can hear of the needs of the body of Christ? Are we using that communication for prayer? Or are we just using it for snoopiness, for being a busybody? I'm going to share with you. Do you know why some people, even though they're going through a trial, they don't ask for open prayer? Because they honestly think that most people are just more snoopy than they are caring. And people, it's like, I don't like the, just that people are so nosy. But if you knew that in your trial, your brothers and sisters were more interested in praying for you than anything else, wouldn't you be a lot more open about your petitions, about your struggles, about your temptations, about your trials? I know I would. But there's a doubt in some that says, ah, people really aren't going to pray. They're going to talk. They're going to snoop, snoop. They're going to pry. All the saints, we have this communication. Let's not let it be bad for us. Let's lift 
up one another in the Lord. Pray for the persecuted saints. Sometimes they're the easiest to pray for because we think of how their lives are on the line and how they're losing so much because they're taking a stand for the, for the Lord and his word. Pray for the serving saints, those who are in there offering their time, their energy, they're pouring out their lives. Pray for them. But shouldn't we also pray for the lukewarm saints? Definitely. Oh, Lord, I want to pray for those that are serving you because they really deserve my prayers. I want to pray for those that are being persecuted because they're in such hardship. How about those saints that are misled? I see here that the prayer is for all the saints, that our burden for them that we bring to the Lord so that he may carry it is that we share in their weakness. Lord, put this love in us to pray for one another. Do you need this stretch in your prayer life? This point number two, pray for all the saints. After point number one, pray casting your cares upon him. Do you need to learn how to pray more openly for the body of Christ? We often just submit self-supplications instead of interceding for others, even others that we don't know, that we would cast their cares on the Lord. Let's pull one more point from verse 18. Pray with perseverance. Do you see it there? I was trying to think of a better character trait for a soldier than perseverance. It's definitely right up there. A good soldier doesn't quit. A good soldier stays tough when the going is tough. Perseverance is to keep on keeping on. If you speak to those who are commanding soldiers and you ask them, what trait are you looking for? Yes, there would be camaraderie, there would be the following instructions, but perseverance is right up there. And remember, this is spiritual warfare. He's speaking to you and me as soldiers of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be one who keeps on keeping on. Don't easily quit. When things get difficult, living for the Lord, serving the Lord, there's going to be this temptation to recoil and say, this is hard. My life's busy. I have other things going on, and living for God, pouring out my life to others, is, it's taxing me. Therefore, I should stop or not do it as much. That's not what I see in the Word of God. I see that He is calling us to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, but we're to persevere, and we're even to be watchful, as it says here in the Word. A victorious soldier is not easily discouraged through the trial, they persevere. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who, enlists, who enlisted him as a soldier. Isn't that us sometimes? We get so entangled in the affairs of everyday life the stuff that we like to do, the stuff that we think we need to do. And soldiers don't live that way. When they're at war, they're not checking their email. They're guarding their life. They're fighting for their country. They're not, they're, the petty things aren't important to them anymore. 
They want to live. They want to be victorious. It would be so much more simple and straightforward if we could duel the enemy just with a sword fight, wouldn't it? Or if we could just brawl and say, physically, let's just write. That would be so much simpler, so much more straightforward, and in some ways so much easier. But remember, if you go back in this chapter, is, is that not verse 12? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this present age, against spiritual hosts in the heavenly places. It would be better for me if I could just punch the demon or the devil. It would be a lot more concrete, a lot easier for me to follow through with that. I'm prone to fight anyways, physically. But this perseverance, this watchfulness is not just in that physical realm. It's in the overall spiritual realm. And that's where you and I need strength. And if you're a physically or emotionally strong person, you're going to be prone to try to do things in that manner. And you'll think that strength is literally brawn or it's emotional toughness. And that's not the same thing as spiritual perseverance, as leaning on the Lord so that we won't quit, so that we won't get discouraged. Our fight is in prayer. I will not let the enemy have my mind. I will put on the helmet of salvation. I will not let the devil have my heart. I'm going to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Jesus is my righteousness. Don't be that puny soldier. Be that persevering soldier. Be strong in the Lord. I'm one of those guys who often stays in the parking lot while my wife shops. I, I just don't like stores very much. I make sure she's safe on the way in and all that stuff, but I admit, I'm that guy who's out there, you know, I'm like, oh man, this is taking forever. I, I, if I go into a clothing establishment, I immediately start to get a sore throat. It's true, and it's like the fabric dries out the air in some way, and I don't feel good when I'm in there, and I need to leave within a matter of a few minutes, so I, I go out to the car, and some of my sons have inherited this trait from me. And so we're just like sitting out there doing useful things in the parking lot, hopefully not wasting our time. And sometimes when we're out there, there'll be a security guard in the parking lot. And so we start watching the security guard. I won't tell you the name of the, of the security service. But we're watching this guy. And... They ask, so what's that guy? He's a security guard. And, and you're looking at him going, that guy's a security <laughs> guard? <laughs> well, he's, at least he's dressed up like a security guard. Doesn't look like he could chase anybody very far at all, right? And, and, and so as we watch him, he's eating snacks, which I'm all for snacks, but he still was more watchful of his snacks than he was about his surroundings, right? And then, then he was checking his phone, right? And and we're watching as there's some shifty behavior happening all around us. And he's literally just like, you know, I'm, I'm here. I'm holding down the concrete. This guy was not a persevering, watchful type of person. It's funny to us because you're thinking, oh, what's he watching out for? There's certainly danger, potential danger. But our battle and what's at stake is so much greater. 
And are we these persevering, watchful soldiers in prayer? Pray with perseverance. In our lives, as, as we push into the Lord and say, I'm pressing forward, I'm not just easily saying, oh, I, I'm weary of this. I know who the Lord is. I know that he's my confidence. Let us pray in this way. Point number four will be from verses 19 and 20, and it is pray for boldness in preachers. Read verse 19 and 20 with me, if you would. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Pray for preachers. Pray for their spiritual warfare. Isn't that what Paul is saying here? Those who declare the word of God, those who teach the word of God, those who evangelize. Paul says, pray for me. Why? Because I need boldness. Because there's a way that I ought to speak. How should a preacher speak? Including all of the truth of God. Should a preacher neglect to declare the whole counsel of God's word? Should he declare the select counsel of God's word or the whole counsel of God's word? He says, pray for me that I would be bold, that I would not back down, that I would talk about the truth that's in the Bible, all of it, not just some of it, that I would speak the way I ought to speak, that I would not leave out anything. As Paul shared with those Ephesian elders in the book of Acts, he says to them, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word, meaning I have not shirked from from doing what I was supposed to do. But yet he says here, pray for me that I will continue. So the attitude isn't this, oh, that, that guy's a solid preacher. I, I don't need to pray for him. Wrong. All the more, pray for the, pre- the preacher that's declaring the word of God. Now, as a preacher myself, it's difficult to explain this without some thinking that it's self-serving. But I'm addressing it because it's clearly in the scriptures, not because I want your sympathy. I don't want your sympathy at all, actually. This is not just for me. It's for every preacher that's called by God. Some believers, they don't think their pastor really needs consistent prayer. Usually it's because they don't really think that their pastor is on the front lines like some of the big shots are. So if you doubt in any capacity what the word is saying about praying for boldness in preachers, then you should be a preacher yourself. Not just a preacher who picks and chooses a specialty area and sticks to that, but be a preacher that does not shirk from declaring all of God's word. Know the pressure. Know the darts from the enemy. Do it yourself. Day after day, week after week, year after year, declaring everything that you ought to And you'll see the reason that Paul asked for prayer for boldness. Now, if you don't want to take that route, just do what the Word of God says. And even though you're not necessarily gifted to preach or to teach, 
Just admit, Lord, I don't know all the trials and the temptations of others, but I know that I'm called in your word to pray for preachers, to pray for pastors, to pray for evangelists, that they would speak as they ought to speak. Putting an ambassador in chains. Do you see the problem with that? That invokes war. The U.S. Embassy, if there is trouble or there's danger, the United States usually pulls their ambassadors out of that embassy, don't they? Because they're thinking they're not safe anymore. And in fact, to put an ambassador in chains means we're at war. If they were to take one of our diplomats and put them in bondage, that's a declaration of war is happening, isn't it? He ought to be protected, but he's not protected. He's in chains. He's in jail for the cause of Christ. Paul is saying that he is an ambassador in chains, and that means that the enemy has initiated this war. He is going after God's people. You and I can say, we don't want to be at war. Let's negotiate. Let's talk. Let's figure out a way around fighting. We're way past negotiating with the devil at this point, aren't we? It's war. He doesn't tell you to get your clipboard and your phone and get out there and negotiate with the evil in this world, with the enemy. He says, no, put your armor on. Get out your sword. We are at war. Pray for those who are to preach that they would speak as they ought to because you know the way it is. There are a lot of people-pleasing pastors out there. They're more politician than they are pastor or preacher. But should you stop praying for them just because they're like that? No, you should pray for them all the more. Maybe they should get more of your prayers than even those who are faithfully declaring the word of God. Say, help that person to step up and say what they're supposed to say. Yes, in love, but they're shirking. They're shirking from the whole counsel of God's word. You know what's so wonderful about standing on God's word? That when people get angry, they're not just angry at me. They're angry at God. People say, do you get a lot of complaints? No, I don't. Because I open up the Bible and I say, does it not say that? And they know that I'll say that. And they'll have to say, it does say that, right? So oftentimes people keep their animosity to themselves and they just go elsewhere. That's heartbreaking because they're not rejecting Eddie. Who cares about him? They're rejecting what God says in his word. So pray for pastors, preachers, evangelists, that they wouldn't pull punches. Isn't that what the Bible is saying? The enemy has initiated this war. Satan is pulling out all the stops. He has provoked war. We're way past negotiation. Read about Billy Sunday. He was indeed a theatrical evangelist. And he was one of those guys that caused a lot of controversy as he traveled around and presented the gospel. But reading about what he did when he was on the platform on many of those evenings where he was sharing the gospel, he would say, I'm doing battle with the devil right now. But he wouldn't just keep it at that. He would throw punches while he was up preaching. He would pick up chairs. He would choke and gag. And people say, well, that's just too much for me. Well, he was illustrating what was happening in the unseen realm, and it got people's attention. He wasn't saying, I'm literally physically being choked by Satan right now. He's like, no, but that's what the devil desires to do. 
to the preacher of God's word. He wants to silence him. He wants to temper him. He wants to keep him from pouring out the truth of God's word with grace. People say sometimes, well, are you one of those really like piercing pastors or are you a really loving pastor? I want to be both. I want you to be convinced that I love you, but I also want to be convinced that you know that I'm going to tell you the truth. Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Pray for that. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You might not be into the dramatization. I was thinking about the whole fight on the outside, illustrating the fight that's happening on the inside. Critics said with Billy Sunday, that's too overstated. I don't think it can be overstated or overemphasized. It is intense. The enemy really is going for my throat. He wants me to be in lust instead of in the scriptures. He wants to undermine my marriage. He wants to corrupt my children. He wants to divide my church. And I don't say that out of ownership. I say it out of belonging. That's what the devil wants. Do you have any doubt? And I'm just one little guy tucked up here in the foothills. And I'm thankful for those of you who preach the word of God with me in this place. But there are thousands of faithful servants that are in that place. Consider the victory of the devil for the devil when he can take out somebody who is discipling people, when he can take out somebody who is sharing the gospel and people are getting saved. What does that do? Well, it pulls glory away from God, doesn't it? Pray. Whole counsel that the target wouldn't be taken off. I mean, that's part of the issue is the temptation is to say, let's do something else because I don't like having a target on me. Like, let's do something else. Some say preachers ought to do this. They ought to have no other job qualifications because then they're kind of stuck being a pastor, right? They ought to be just pretty useless in regards to the way they could serve the Lord or serve and make money in the world. That way you're kind of cornered, right? I'm starting to think that's a good idea because there's a lot of ways to make money. It's not difficult to do, right? Then the target's off you, right? You're like, oh, you know, that, that, that's a lot better. That's a lot more simple. The temptation to do that? Oh, you know, it's like, I would never do that. Pray for me that I wouldn't. That I wouldn't say there's a lot easier route, a lot simpler route than this one. If Paul prayed this, if Paul asked for this, I'm going to ask for it. And I'm going to ask for it not just for me, but for every preacher of the gospel. That was point number four. Pray for boldness in preachers. Point number five. Pray for the ministry of helps. Let's read verse 21 through 24. But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tysicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. 
whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs, that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and the love and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Tysicus is a noteworthy example. We can draw a direct application from his life. I found him in the Bible five places, and every time Tysicus is connected to the ministry. Every time we see him here in the Word of God, look what it says about Tysicus that he is beloved. What else does it say? That he is faithful. And that Paul sent Tysicus to Ephesus so that he could encourage those who were in the church. Paul counted on Tysicus when something really needed to get done. Paul's in prison. We're told this in Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Tysicus is a faithful minister, a fellow servant. So he was a co-laborer. He traveled and ministered with Paul. He delivered this letter. He delivered other letters. He delivered money. What else did he deliver? I know you did your Tysicus study this week. I, I hope when you opened your Bible and you studied, you say, who is this man, this faithful minister? He delivered Onesimus to Philemon. So when Paul knew that something needed to get done, Tysicus was often the man for the job. And look, he was willing to help even though he wasn't the main herald, even though he wasn't the main preacher. Was he a preacher? Yes, he was, because he came into Ephesus and he encouraged the brethren. He filled them in on what was going on with Paul. He was trusted in that manner to impart a timely word to the church. You might consider that to be small. You might consider it to be big. But here it is. Pray for the ministry of helps. Tysicus was a helper in the kingdom of God, not a helper in the kingdom of Paul. He was helping the Lord, not first helping the apostle, right? And this is one problem with the way that we think sometimes. We think, well, I'll help this person or I'll help that person. Really, that's not the question. The question is, is it a help in the kingdom of God? Are you serving the Lord as you offer your help? Yes, it is very valuable for a man like Paul to have a helper like Tysicus, but pray for that ministry of helps. There are many who are willing helpers in the church. You might say, who are they? Well, many times we don't know much of them. We don't know as much of them as we do of the preacher, do we? Let's admit it. I thought about, but didn't get it done, giving you a Tysicus quiz. Do you think you'd do better on the Tysicus quiz or the Paul quiz? The Paul quiz. You know him, you've heard about him, like we know a lot of him in the Word. But does that mean that Tysicus wasn't greatly used by God and that he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do? Not at all. Most of us would just love the prospect of being mentioned one time in the Bible. Because, not necessarily for the press, because God's using me. I'm an instrument of the Lord. Look, there I am. But to be in the Bible five times... And for God to say about you that you're faithful, that you're an encourager, 
that you're willing to do this and that and this, and that you're willing to fill the gap, that's the ministry of helps. There are so many opportunities to help in the ministry, to be a part of, to say, Lord, I know this is your work. And if you're not at a place, if this isn't your church, find a church you can be a part of and say, that's my church. And I can be a part of it. I want to help here because I know the kingdom work is happening here. And if you can't do that here, go someplace and be a part of something where you can. Instead of just saying, I'll be kind of here, there, and everywhere. That's not the operation of the body of Christ. Say, Lord, you've showed me this is where I need to be. This leadership is going in a direction that I see to be consistent with your word. And pour out those helps. You might think that they're small. But put together, they're huge for the kingdom of God. I think of all the people, including people in my extended family, that, that get to worship and get to pray with us and get to hear the Bible taught over the live stream. Would that happen if... The person helping, the person running the live stream wasn't running it? No, it wouldn't. You might think, well, that's no big deal. I don't even know who does that. But doesn't it get the word out? Doesn't it meet a need? Doesn't it help? Some of you were sick last week. You're like, this is great. Well, not great being sick, but great being at home and saying, like, I can still be a, a part of things when I'm here. That's, oh, that's such a small help. No, it's a big help. Pray for the ministry of helps in yourself and in the body of Christ. Although there are many Tysicus-like servants in the church, there are also many who don't serve unless they are recognized. They want their own ministry. Therefore, they're not very helpful to those that God has called to lead. They see themselves as Paul's when really they should be more willing to be a Tysicus. I don't know what God has gifted you to do. But if you're convinced he has called you, then do it. And maybe that helps. Let the Spirit talk to you. Are you willing to support, to help, to be a part of? Why not? Being a helper in the kingdom of God is enough. I will be the water boy for God's team. You see, he's like, you just let me... Yeah, I'm going to try to put a uniform on, I admit it. But just let me be the water boy. Like, I just want to be a part of it. I'm not here saying, oh, I don't, I'm not, you know, the prima donna athletes. Like, you can't even watch sports half the time anymore because I'm so sick of hearing them whine about what they... It's like, you big baby, right? Just to be able to be a part of that, to be able to be a part of helping in the ministry. People often don't know how much of a help they are. They think this is just the little thing that I do. And that's where what Tysicus did here is so important. He was an encourager. If you see somebody serving the Lord with that ministry of helps, tell them that you're blessed. You're not, people say, well, I don't want to pump up their ego. Believe me, it's, for most of them, it's just like, it's that encouragement, right? You're not patting them on the back for the sake of their pride. You're saying, you blessed me, and you blessed the church by what you did. Yeah, it wasn't up front. Yeah, it wasn't noticed. Yeah, people couldn't pass a quiz if they took a quiz on you. But does that matter? No, it's the Lord seeing our service.
There is so much good to do. Eternal stuff. The eternal work of God. To know that you're being used by the Lord. Let me ask you this. What is better than knowing that God is using you? There, you might say, well, it's, what's better is just knowing I'm saved. I agree, that's knowing you're his child. But in your sanctification, what's better than knowing that God used you as his instrument? I can't think of anything. To know that God chose to take what he gave me in the first place and use it to bless somebody else, to know that I'm not just a tool in the toolbox, but I'm a tool that he, he takes out and uses for his glory, it doesn't get better than that. Pray for the ministry of helps in the Lord for us. As we seek the Lord, pray for the lost. It's not right here in, in the text. But so many people still are fooled by the lie of self-goodness. So many people they, they say they believe in God, but the idea that they're good enough for God is just so prevailing. They, they just think like, I'm a good person. God's going to shine on me. Pray for them that God would show them that they're sinners. We're all sinners. And that they need him desperately for forgiveness and for eternal life. Pray that God, by his word, would pierce their hearts and that they would see how badly they need a redeemer. He is the risen king. And many think that they don't need him. They think they're good enough in their own merit. Also pray for those that know they're so bad, that know they're so wretched that they don't even want to come to God. Because the devil works on the extremes. He convinces some people that they're so good they don't need God, and others that they're so bad that God could never forgive them, that God could never wash them clean. They're so ashamed that they don't even want to hear. Are you praying for them? They know that they're sinners. They know that they've fallen down so many times. They don't even know what to do to pick themselves up. And they are convinced that God is shunning them. When Jesus is reaching out with his nail-scarred hands and saying, believe. That's it. Believe in me. Call upon the Lord and you will be saved. And so they stay away from the church because they're too ashamed. They, they stay away from God because God must, is not going to receive them. God has paid for their sins so that they can come in and be near to him. Pray for those people. You have loved ones that are just like that, don't you? I do. And God is chipping away, he keeps calling and calling. Today, if you're in one of those camps and you're not right with God because you've been fooled by the lies of the enemy, today, your eyes have been opened and you see, like, my faith in Jesus. He's all I need. I don't need to fix myself. I need forgiveness. 
He'll change me. If you need that today, today is the day to confess him as Lord. Not later, but the day that we have before us, this day, for you to say, I believe on you, Jesus. Is your heart with me right now, Christian, in asking the Lord for his mercy? For he had it upon you. And you want him to have that mercy on others. He does. Let's fight that battle on our knees. Lord, we give to you right now those that we love so much. We know you love them more than we do. Lord, they, they're wandering and some of them don't even know it. They're struggling and they don't know what to do with their sin and with their shame. And we pray, Lord, that you would use us to tell them the truth of your love. More than anything, we pray that your spirit would work, that you would be that softening savior, the one who, who gets them ready for the good seed of your word. And we pray for those that really don't understand their need for you because they think that they're good without you, Lord. I, I pray for them that you would use your law, that you would use the righteousness of your word to show them that they need to put your goodness on. Lord, make us helpers. Make us those who pray for our preachers, for those that declare your word. Make us those who cast our cares upon you. Broaden our horizons to pray for the whole church, Lord, not just those that we love so dearly. I thank you for these persevering soldiers that you've put me with and my family with. I pray, Lord, that we would march in your strength, that we'd move forward, that we'd be strong in you, in the power of your might, Lord. Bless our day in you, bless our weeks in you. We lift our voices to you now in worship. In Jesus' name, amen.